Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. With an international interval in our hands, we can't put it off any longer. It's time to talk about the midfield rebuild. Who stays, who goes, who arrives, and what is it the Reds are shopping for? We'll get into that and more here with Kiva O'Neill and Andy Jones. But let's start with the three little words. I know Kiva loves them so much, so I'm going to come to her as usual first. I was going to say I'm back, baby, but I don't know if that really sums up Liverpool, just that... I'm back from two weeks off. <laughs> yeah, you went to Rome, didn't you? Yeah, the lovely time. It was nice to switch off. Well, to be fair, I caught the second half of the Bournemouth game, which obviously was, yeah, I'm sure you've discussed that at length already. Let's let's leave that there. And then Real Madrid, it was just disappointing, wasn't it? Because it just like they sort of just sucked the life out of Liverpool like they have done so many times before. So I watched that from a, an Irish bar in Rome, with, uh, surrounded by Frank Fair fans who were pretty un- unhappy as well with how their night was going. So, you know, we uh, drank through the pain together. <laughs> Andy, I bet you, well, I know you didn't have such a fun time in such an exotic <laughs> location. I mean, you know, you were in places like a Burnley. Um, Burnley, Rome? Yeah, yeah, no, I'd rather be. Three words. Uh, a relaxing weekend because we didn't have the stress of Liverpool having a game which has uh, brought a lot of stress this season, doesn't it? So it was quite nice that Liverpool couldn't lose <laughs> over the weekend. I did check the fixtures because I was on my way back from Rome and I was like, I, I think Liverpool do play this. And then I checked and I was like, oh, that's nice. Nice little break for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think my three words would be like, I hate England. Well, I, well, you know, it's international breaks, isn't it? Liverpool players always come back injured. You know, Henderson's bound to come back, I don't know, with one leg or something, isn't he? Although he's been playing on one leg all season. Um, no, no, that's unfair, that's unfair. But let's see what they're saying on the walk on Facebook group. Greg Rudd is saying, a relaxed weekend. Well, yeah, I can see that with no game. Ed Spencer, everyone stay fit. Yep. Andrew Todd, important month ahead. And Ian Franklin, no April Fools. Well, well, actually, we need some April Fools. We need Manchester City to be April Fools, really, don't we? Well, you saw Manchester City, Andy, uh, against Burnley. How good are they? Tell us in very, tell us in, in, in very quickly because and don't scare us. Do not scare us. It, well, it'd be best if I didn't say anything then because. Uh... They look like a team, and it, okay, it was Burnley Championship, we've got to consider that, but they look like a team clicking into top gear, ready for the end of the season, which we've seen and experienced that Manchester City as Liverpool going up against them in title fights, uh, and it's not a nice Manchester City. Um, so the break no. might come at a bad time for them because they are building that momentum, but equally... They're looking quite scary. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, they could end the international break with more injuries than Liverpool have. Well, yeah. Kiva, you went on holiday, but so did Liverpool, didn't he? <laughs> Bournemouth and Real Madrid. Well, you know, there's 12 games left after the break. So where do we stand? I mean, currently seven points off fourth, isn't it? With, all right, a couple of games in hand, I think, on Tottenham and then Newcastle are five points ahead, which, you know, when Liverpool beat Newcastle not long ago, it was like, OK, here's, here's, here they go, the start on the, the comeback trail. 
But then this is Liverpool this season and they've sort of lost that love and feeling, haven't they? I think watching them, it's like Andy describes Man City there and they're starting to click into gear and they've hit some speed bumps this season when you've totally not expected them to. And Liverpool have hit them, but then you kind of expecting them to now, which is the most disappointing thing about this season, I think, is that Liverpool get to a place where, you know, they're 2-0 up against Real Madrid. Everything's happened the weeks the weeks prior. It's all building up to this and then they throw that away. And from there, we're just sort of clambering and struggling, watching them not play in the way that they can. All right, they've had a lot of injuries this season, different things, probably didn't recruit strongly enough in the summer. That's obviously to come and I'm sure we'll talk about, but... For Liverpool now, it's just crucial that they get top four, I think. They've been in this position before, haven't they, where they've chased top four and, you know, we've mentioned it a lot, Alisson's header, that kind of thing. And then Liverpool go to a Champions League final. So you just, you've got to get there because you don't want to see them start sort of falling away from that. If Liverpool fall away, we know how difficult it is. We're seeing Man United now get back to that after seasons of sort of up and down. Liverpool, you don't want to see that happen, but it, it well and truly could because this squad is ageing, different things happening. It just feels like such a vital time on the pitch and then off it as well. On the positive, you know, Diaz is likely to return. Uh, Nunes, he's withdrawn from the Uruguay squad, but James said, I hope he'll be fit for Manchester City. Thiago and Henderson could be back after the break. So, I mean... Klopp should have the best part of a full squad together, shouldn't he, Andy? He should, and he should have a lot of them quite well well rested as well. Um, I mean, even like Trent's not going, you know, to, on England international duty, so that gives him a couple of weeks to to rest. So the squad should look in in really good shape uh, when they come back, and and then you sort of well, there's no excuses anymore after that, is there really? Other than performance related ones, providing there is no injuries on international break. And all these players do come back and hit the sort of schedules that seem to be expected. We can't expect Luis Diaz to come back and be the completely Luis Diaz, for example, because he's hardly played footy since... Well, he hasn't played footy since October, really, has he? So there's elements like that, but equally, suddenly you, you've got everyone available, or hopefully pretty much everyone available, and suddenly you find yourself in a position where you, you can, I guess, pick the teams that Klopp would want to pick. So... You would like to think it, well, it should put Liverpool in a much stronger position than they've been in at most times this season because their injury record this season is, stats suggest it's the worst in the league in terms of games missed by players and stuff. So you would like to think that on a positive thought heading into this international break, a number of them will have rest, um, which will help um, heading into the final stage of the season. But also, if you're getting bodies back, hopefully that provides you know a boost and a lift for for the players who are probably feeling pretty low going into this international break given the last two fixtures and the results i suppose you'd say the one positive thing is that the teams that well we think we're vying for champions league spots with um tottenham are clearly self-destructed i mean antonio conte's press conference after the Southampton game, was probably the most incendiary post-match presser I can remember. Until now, I try to hide the situation. But now, oh, there are 10 games to go and uh, something, something thinks uh, that we can fight. We can fight for what? With this spirit, with this attitude, with this commitment. For what? For the seventh, eighth place, ninth place? I'm not used to this position. Kiva, there's still a possibility there, isn't there? There definitely is. And I know we've chatted about this 
recently, but it's those three games, isn't it? When Liverpool get back from the international break of Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, all in sort of quick succession. I think that'll be defining. And if Liverpool, you know, pick up a point from those three games, then, you know, it's it's completely off, isn't it? Given that Tottenham and Newcastle could, you know, well and truly pick up points themselves. So I think those games will be important in sort of like, you know, at the springboard. I mean, we've been talking about springboards all season and probably people listening are a bit fed up of it as well. But I just think beating Man City felt like a moment, didn't it, earlier in the season. Liverpool can do that again and just sort of grapple that good feeling of defeating Man City who are just absolutely ridiculous at the minute. And there's a possibility that Man City don't win the Premier League, yet they've got Erling Haaland scoring hundreds of goals it seems every weekend so that'll be a massive game for Liverpool I think and just we'll set that tone going into the running that Liverpool will now have to pretty much win every game if they're going to get top four they won't probably need to win all of them but you just they can't lose anymore they've lost eight times that's almost you can't like trust them in the same way that we have been I mean Mm -hmm. I'm sure they'll come through but they've got to now lay a marker down for next season because they want to be fighting at the top of the table and not for fourth. If you're looking for positives, and we are looking for positives, let's be honest, you know, because we've had enough negatives all year. They do lift themselves for games against the better sides, let's say. I thought the international break come at a bad time because you lose two games in in a really embarrassing manner and you've got time to stew on it and there's no real, because of the way the international system works, there's no no time to get together on the training grounds and rebuild, really. But, you know, if you're coming back, one thing that will focus your mind is starting off with Manchester City. Andy, I'm desperate. Come on, help me say something. Just, I'm just <laughs> rambling. I'm not making any sense at all. Not that I ever make sense. <laughs> well, yeah, because you've also got to throw in that it's a, it's a half 12 and we know Liverpool's record of half 12s this season. But I think... Um, yeah. You are right, though, Liverpool, and while it has been primarily at home, they have picked themselves up for the big games. They've produced reactions or certainly put in performances that resemble the Liverpool we know in those sort of... Those bigger games are the ones that mean more. So, you you know, the derby, for example. You've obviously got United as a reference point, City earlier in the season. You have had these performances from Liverpool this season, not necessarily away from home, which I guess is a little bit of a concern, but I think, the, the you know, the away form... In general, regardless of who Liverpool have played this season, has just been so so poor. You would like to come back to to Man City at home, if you like, rather than than having to go away. But yeah, this is this is the thing, isn't it? You would, in in a way, it might be a good thing that Liverpool are they know that they need to come back and they've got to be rad on it because you know the way Man City are playing at the moment, they're looking to embarrass teams and regardless of who they're playing. So I told you in, to in stop a sense, scaring us. I told you to stop scaring us. <laughs> I think for Liverpool though. Do you not think the pressure's off a little bit in a way? Because, all right, they need to get top four. But if they don't, no one will be shocked because the season's been so bad. And if they get it, it'll almost be like a bonus and an amazing thing. Because at times we've been, you know, a few weeks back before they put that run of games together, I was thinking, yeah, not a chance to even get in European football, which, you know, would be woeful from a point. But then they'd have, I guess, time in the week to rest. But then we know time isn't 
always a good thing for this Liverpool team. It's almost like that they need to keep going and when they stop, they struggle. And I think that's why they've maybe struggled with those half-12 kickoffs a little bit as well because it sort of puts them out of the sink. We know when they play Champions League football, they tend to like train in the evenings and you know they're almost like training the body clocks to sort of be at one with that. And I think the earlier games sort of put them out of that a little bit. And I think European football has helped Liverpool in the league as well. And now they don't have that. It's kind of like pressure-free environment. They can't win a trophy now. So they have to just win what's left and what's left are games and the race for top four. There's definitely less pressure on Liverpool because Man City are in that position where they can't afford to slip up. There's, there's already this gap to Arsenal that they've got a bridge and therefore they need to be perfect. Whereas, as you mentioned before, Top four, you don't necessarily need to be. But I think what is important is Liverpool set a tone. Even if they don't win the game necessarily, even if they lose the game, what you want to be talking about after the game is the performance and it being a positive performance and it being a good performance that you can then build on, take into Chelsea, take into Arsenal. It might end up being a really good fixture for Liverpool and, and one that immediately they've got to be straight on, you're straight on it, switched on um, and, and set the tone for, for the rest of the season. I think it'll be one they enjoy as well, given that they could effectively end Man City's title hopes. I know the next week they've got to play Arsenal and do the same thing for them, but I think the the gap then will be even bigger and I'd imagine City... I mean, I'm all in on Arsenal now anyway. I think they'll do it, but I just think... Liverpool have a big opportunity to sort of get one over on Man City. You know, I've been the rivals in recent seasons. All right, they're not in a title race with them this time around, but they have an opportunity to have a big say in one. So why not relish that, enjoy it and go and do something about it? Well, I think there's a perfect plan there, isn't it? For early April, kill Man City's title challenge and then revive it the next week. This is Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and this week on the Athletic Football Podcast we're bringing you a two-part special on the future of football. What will the expanded 48-team World Cup look like and is it actually such a terrible idea? Plus, UEFA against FIFA, a Super League in disguise. How would you feel if your team became part of a multi-club model? There is a lot to get stuck into. Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and Laura Williamson will be with us. Just search for the Athletic Football Podcast wherever you listen. Well, the future of Jude Bellingham has been a hot topic of conversation for a long time, and that's only likely to continue with there being every chance that he will be one of the biggest transfer stories in the summer of 2023. Bellingham works it well. Bellingham! Special! Special player! The first thing to say is that Borussia Dortmund have him under contract until the summer of 2025. And to our knowledge, there's no release clause. That puts them in a position of strength. And interest has been building for ages. More lately, it has emerged that Three candidates are probably his strongest suitors. Liverpool, who have been most heavily linked with him in recent months, you could even say years. Manchester City and Real Madrid. And what we report in my Monday column on The Athletic is that it's looking increasingly unlikely that Liverpool will do the deal this summer. As things stand, 
I'll always add that caveat because things do change in this industry. And also, firm decisions are yet to be made around this. And that's quite an important nuance. It mainly is likely to come down to finances and the expected transfer fee. We don't know what that is going to be as things stand. We've reported on The Athletic that Dortmund are looking for around 150 million euros. Lots of people who have read our story have reacted and say, well, Liverpool would have always known that it was going to be a high transfer fee. I think it's a little bit different now for various reasons. Uh, one, of course, is Liverpool don't know what competition they're going to be playing in next season, Champions League or Europa League, and that will affect budgets. But what's changed? Well, in January, Chelsea perhaps skewed the market for these central midfielders, which, by the way, is oversubscribed. The supply does not meet the demand. There are more clubs needing that position than there are real top-level players available, and that drives the price up. But Enzo Fernandez being brought by Chelsea for 121 million euros with relatively little experience, despite the fact that he had won the World Cup, is only going to drive up the cost of these players in that position. And Dortmund will be well aware that they've probably got the most coveted player in that role at this moment in time. And so the big question is, is can Liverpool pay that? And don't forget, they've got a lot of work to do in their squad and they are embarking upon that work and we'll see how that develops. But also there is the competition. Manchester City, very keen. We saw in the past that they paid £100 million for Jack Grealish. They have space in their team, potentially. Ilkay Gundogan is out of contract in the summer and we have no news about whether he'll be staying or not. And of course, Bellingham is very close friends with Erling Haaland from their days together at Dortmund. Real Madrid, when they want a player, they normally get them. And we know they admire Jude Bellingham. Let's see if they want to go through with this transfer. They've got Camavinga in there and talks are starting over a new contract. Valverde is impressed, slightly more to the side. And also in the centre is Aurelien Chouameni, who Real Madrid paid in excess of 100 million euros for. These are figures that Liverpool have not gone to in the past, so that will be a really big test. And it's in from Bellingham. What a moment for the 19-year-old. I think it's vital to stress that Liverpool's pursuit is not off, but that is our understanding of the current situation from speaking to multiple sources with knowledge of this situation from across the industry. And on that note, I'll finish in that Liverpool will be reluctant to get into a bidding war at that level of finance. People point out to me that they have vied for players and won the battles in the past, but it's normally been at a slightly lower level. And so this is a different ball game altogether. We're not saying with certainty how this is going to conclude. We are just trying our best to relay to you what we're hearing at this moment in time. Tony Evans here with Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones with Walk On from The Athletic. And that was David Ornstein with the news about Jude Bellingham that none of us wanted to hear, that Liverpool are, well, they're getting less likely to sign them with every day that passes. Well, you know what? Part of me isn't surprised. 
But when you look at the Enzo Fernandez deal and the way that skewed the markets, oh, Chelsea skewing the transfer markets. That's never happened before. You know, but yeah, it's, it's, it is disappointing news, isn't it, Kiva? I guess it's not really unexpected given that Man City and Real Madrid like to spend a lot more money, I'd say, than Liverpool and can perhaps do that. So I think it's not sort of shocking almost, is it, that, you know, they'll be ahead in the race. This is one that's going to rumble on anyway into the summer and we know that because it feels like it's been rumbling on for a couple of seasons now and obviously in the summer Liverpool would have liked Jude Bellingham are now waiting for him, but the chance to maybe sign him is, you know, ebbing away with each passing day. And I think that's worrying, isn't it? Because Liverpool have put so much on potentially signing Jude Bellingham that what happens if they're unable to? They need a master plan, a backup plan to the master plan, don't they? And I think that's what will concern fans right now because the season isn't going great. And then you hear the news that, you know, maybe Man City and Real Madrid would be, you know, ahead of Liverpool in the race for Bellingham and that's that would be disappointing I think won't it? given the every time I watch Jude Bellingham I think he's the absolute business and would be you know a future captain for Liverpool quite easily I wonder whether investing so much in Bellingham would be the best idea anyway because you know it strikes me as well that a clock midfield doesn't really need to have superstar players creative players you know, what they really need, certainly for this team, is people who can close down space, who can give balance, who can protect the back four, who can free the fullbacks to get forwards. And, you know, the, the Wijnaldum types of this world, you know, the Henderson have his best. You know, they weren't, they weren't pulling up any trees, but they were doing that. I, I mean, could the fact that Bellingham is being priced out actually do us a favour, Andy? <laughs> I mean, um, obviously, as everyone knows, Bellingham's a top talent and will just only get better. So probably not, but possibly in a sense that we know that Liverpool... Like, this isn't Liverpool needing one player to fix the midfield problem. This is Liverpool needing, you know, two, three, possibly four, given, you know, what's potentially going on the door in the summer, you know, just as a starting point, but also... You know the the ages of of you know Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho's continuing to move on, but also has you know has not been the same player this season. And then you know we, we've talked about that sort of bracket having me of twenty two to twenty six year olds. So Liverpool just don't have any midfielders sort of in that bracket um, of of sort of the the level of Champions League title winning you know credentials. So in a way, it it could it could benefit Liverpool. You know, it, it probably won't look like that when we continue to watch Jude Bellingham and continue to see how great he is and especially if he comes to Manchester City and you know completely rips up the Premier League but there was always this thing wasn't it of right if well if you're buying Duke Bellingham he's not going to solve the, the entire problem but how much money does that leave to do other business which Liverpool do need to do so if they're not buying Duke Bellingham obviously that would you would hope that would open more money up to to doing two three midfielders and, and maybe address other areas of the squad as well which Liverpool might not have been able to do if they were going, or if he, I mean, he still might, of course, but if they were to go all in on Bellingham, for example, it's difficult to say yes or no. And I know this is sitting on the fence a little bit, but Bellingham is a, you know, he's a superstar already, and you would expect them to only get better. But Liverpool, as as you mentioned, that type of midfield, that that Klopp has sort of come away from a little bit in, in recent years, and the sign of Thiago sort of, you know, indicated that. Well, yeah, that's. Yeah, that, that, that's how I wanted to talk about that. And the, the thing is, what's worked best in the clock midfield 
is being players who've had Premier League experience, who know about the physicality of it, and who know the pace. I mean, if you look at, like, um, we, then we come to Thiago. Now, Thiago's great, and there was a thought that he would change the nature of the way the team plays and give a different point of attack. We've talked about this. But he hasn't, really. And he hasn't been... You know, he was part of that team that nearly won the quadruple, and he was excellent. And, you know, this is no criticism of him. But... I expected Thiago to come in and things to be done differently. I expect him to be playing that sort of pass that Robertson played that split the defence for the first goal against United. I expect him to do, to be doing that, but he hasn't really done that. And it seems to me that actually playing in that Liverpool midfield, in that Klopp midfield, it's actually taken away a little bit of his game. It, it makes me wonder whether he's ideally suited to it. Again, Kiva, do you think would be better going at look, looking at tried and tested players in the Premier League who are not necessarily the sort that you go, oh, wow, I'm really excited about him, but can do that job of relentless running for for the, the, the team? You mentioned Ginny Wijnaldum, and I don't think Liverpool have ever truly replaced him. He's the player that sort of summed up a clock midfield and how he'd, you know, pick up the ball and then just sort of be able to keep hold of it for ages and then, you know, obviously dispatch it to one of his teammates. I think his work rate and everything about him was almost like the prototype of what Liverpool need in midfield. And they've never really been able to sort of get a player that will do that job. But then Van Alden was quite unique almost in Firmino's sense of he he did a job that sort of you know, was different. It felt different watching him, didn't it? I think Thiago has worked in a lot of ways and had Liverpool won the quadruple, I think we'd be talking about him in a different way and he would, you know, he was fundamental to that season and, you know, some of the touches and passes I'll never see the like again because he's just phenomenal to watch even from the warm-up to on the pitch. I think fitness at time has been, you know, an issue whether Liverpool bought him almost too late. You know, you'd think a couple of seasons earlier in this team had he, you know, been able to embed himself earlier at a younger age because we watched him in that Champions League final for Bayern Munich and then you know Liverpool signed him not long after that he was player of the match absolutely outstanding that's the capabilities that Thiago has I think there was a game against United last season wasn't it where he just literally was pulling the strings that's the capabilities that's why Liverpool signed him that's why they signed a player you know out of that age range because they were trying to get someone that would do something no other player can I guess, in a Wijnaldum-esque way, but obviously a different kind of player. To come back to what you're saying about get tried and trusted players, when I look at Bellingham, there's only like a few midfielders that are young and you look at as like Pedri, Gavi. Those are the kind of players in that bracket of young midfielders who look like they can just take on the world. And Bellingham's definitely one of those. But I know what you're saying about maybe sort of getting, I think Andy mentioned that, like 22 to 26-year-old player who's just going to slot in right now. But Liverpool need... What a couple of them, and then Bellingham anyway. So, you know, it's just complicated, isn't it, at the moment? And obviously how the season's unravelled has helped sort of make that more pressing matter. I think had Liverpool been winning games, it would be something we talk about, but not in the way that we're talking about it now because it feels like everything needs to be fixed in the summer for Liverpool to continue fighting and battling at the top. You look at players like Matthias Nunes, Andy, do you, you know, I mean, do you think 
he'd be worth a punt. And also, what about the, the, the obviously, we've got players in place, haven't we? You know, Bersetic hopefully will return at the same level. That'd be brilliant. But where do we stand with, you know, Elliot Curtis-Jones? I mean, again, we've discussed it before. There's there's an element with Elliot and Jones in particular where you feel, are the forwards, are the midfielders, are they quite ripe for the role? I mean, where do you think we stand in... in the, the wider framework that's already in place. Well, Elliot, I think Elliot's played in every single Liverpool game this season, which sort of tells you how highly regarded he is, and understandably so, because of the, of the qualities we've seen. Uh, maybe not as consist- consistently as we would have liked, but that's it. That's you know that's age related, isn't it? Let's be honest. He's he's still got so much to time and, and room to develop and grow. You know the way he can find the pockets and and link the attack and midfield is really good. But then does he have the he doesn't necessarily have the defensive game that the Henderson would, for example, brings in that type of position. And that's that's the thing about the Liverpool midfield; they need more. But you know, so, so all of them. I mean, it's not a case of there's a defensive midfielder and the other people are free to roll. Everyone needs some mucking on the defense, don't they? Yeah, and and it's it's not to say that Elliot doesn't defend and doesn't do the running, and because I think you know recently, I think it was after the Wolves game, wasn't it? He. Klopp justified Elliot's selection for the, the game against Manchester United because of his his counter-pressure numbers. I think Jones is a different case because we've sort of been waiting now a couple of seasons and this season that ha- obviously hasn't been ideal for him because of, I think, you know injury concerns and just never quite being able to get fit enough to then get into the side and get on a run of games. But he's, he's an interesting case because we've been waiting and, and we're still waiting for him to make that step, which we all know because we've, we've seen the talent again in in you know in, in bursts if you like instead of sort of over consistently over the season there's plays in place there for Liverpool the, the problem is it's like you know if you don't buy Bellingham and you can buy three 40 million pound midfielders say a Mateus Nunes you know very good midfielders is that a better sum of its parts than buying just Bellingham if that makes sense does that make Liverpool a more yeah, complete definitely. team um because as as we've talked about you know Liverpool's superstars were in the midfield they were very good players and very important and crucial, but they gave the stability for the fullbacks to do their job and, and for the front three to go and be the front three. But equally, Jude Bellingham is Jude Bellingham and Jude Bellingham is going to be and is already one of the best young players in, in world football. So it's that, isn't it? You, until it happens and it goes one way or the other, you'll never properly be able to, to know the answer and, and make a judgment until then. But it is, it's can it are three very good midfielders between 22 and 26 better than Bellingham and maybe one other. We've been fixed on Liverpool one due Bellingham. So now that if that doesn't happen, it's that uncertainty that that brings, isn't it? So what's Liverpool's other plan? What's the what's the plan B? That no one quite knows what that is and therefore that creates that element of uncertainty on top of what this season has brought of what, what's going on. Andy mentions the key word there for, you know, podcasts in recent weeks, and that's uncertainty in terms of, you know, from the sale of the club to new investment and all different things happening. I think for me, you picture Liverpool as like this giant tapestry from 1892 and it's, you know, gorgeous and different things happen right through. But always what has to happen is you have to start embroidering that bottom line, you know, that next season ahead of it because it's going to take time to do it so you need to do it earlier you need to get started on it earlier don't you and that's what Jurgen Klopp's been great at at Liverpool completely transformed everything and Liverpool was so good at almost planning before the plan and 
that is what they need to do now. And I guess this news kind of rocks that a little bit. And, you know, it's been a rocky season, you know, on and off the pitch in terms of ownership and different things. You know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty. But Liverpool now are in a place where, all right, the end of the season massively matters. But what happens after that is going to be so crucial to, you know, how Liverpool go on. You know, we all want to see them continue this. I don't want this to be the end of the journey. It feels like you're looking back, you know, you'd be happy enough last season if someone would have turned to you and said, this is how it's going to go next season. But, you know, Liverpool are going to play every game and get so close to doing and winning it all. You know, would you take this season? I think in hindsight, you probably would. But, you know, we're in this season right now and it's a difficult one, isn't it? That you just kind of want it to be better. And, you know, you want Liverpool to be winning trophies and doing the right things. And right now, things aren't as, as planned. Well, this is what I'm brought to you by The Athletic. And if you want to know why well, you should listen to this podcast over all others, you get Kiva with analogies like that. Liverpool, a vast tapestry that started in 1892. You can see it now. You can see how beautiful it is. You can see, yeah, you can see it around walls, stretching around walls. And you, you just want to go in there and stand there and look at this tapestry all day. <laughs> This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic, with me, Tony Evans, Keith O'Neill and Andy Jones. Well, the news came this week that Lucas Lever, former midfielder, was forced to announce his retirement due to her condition at the age of 36. We wish him his best. He's a lovely fella. He spent 10 years at Liverpool from 2007 onwards and played 346 times and left after helping the Reds back into the Champions League under Jurgen Klopp. Andy... I know you're young. You probably don't have as clear memories as us. I mean, what were you? Oh, you just go out of your, out of your playpen then, hadn't you? Or was it the boys' pen? No, that was in my era. How much do you remember about Lucas? Well, I would. I remember when he when we signed him, and I'm I'm pretty sure I remember him, him coming in and being sort of dubbed as this sort of attacking midfielder. I would have been in primary school, and I remember the in- initial years of him being rather. I'd say supporters, or certainly some sections, were not fans of him. I think it's fair to say he took time to grow on people, didn't he? I, I was never in that sort of that section. I was sort of thought you could see the good things that he brought, but you know he, he came as a youngster, didn't he? And, and this is what you you sometimes forget that you know different country, you got to adapt and and learn your trade and and develop. Being young, I don't remember much of those sort of early years, but what you do remember is the player that he became and how reliable he was and and just all that, you know, he just did the simple things really, really well, didn't he? And, and he became a really important part of of, of Liverpool teams. And, and it, sometimes he was he was sort of a bit, I thought always thought he was a bit like Marmite and yeah, there was sections who loved him and sections who just never were going to have him because of the the limitations in his game. The memory that always stand out is um his shot in the in the Merseyside derby, which <laughs> Which sent Klopp into into fits of aesthetics, basically because of <laughs> how how bad it was. It just sort of just about got it, made it past the the pitch lines and, and went out for a goal kick, didn't it? Lucas has not scored a Premier League goal for seven years. <laughs> well, can laugh about it on the bench. Yeah, it was it. Lucas was having a go. Like Liverpool, were they like four 0 up or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then Lucas is just like, I want to get in on the act, which is yeah, just for like about thirty hilarious. yards or something, wasn't it? It was, uh, and it, it was just sickled and it nearly didn't make the goal, which which just made it really, really funny. I think the entire ground just 
just burst into laughter a little bit because it was it was just really really funny. You know, I mean, the thing that struck me was two things. Like at the time, you know, you sign a Brazilian and everyone gets excited because they. In those days, they were thinking, Ronaldinho, that's the, you know, the archetypal image of a Brazilian, except Brazilians come in all forms. But the other thing is, he was never as bad as his critics originally said during the settling periods, and he was probably never quite as good during his good periods as his, you know, the people who, who really loved him thought. But he was a good, solid player. Kiva, I mean, what are your thoughts on him? You'll have much clearer memories than than that youngster there. I'm not that I'm not that old, but I do. I think me, but the best thing Lucas Lever ever gave anyone was the unlucky. That is the ah, best yeah, gift meme of all time. Like that will go down in history in terms of what Liverpool players have give to the to the meme world, and uh, that is very special. But I think for. For me, Lucas Lever is just someone that you almost feel sorry in a way that he didn't get to stay for that trophy-laden seasons under Klopp because he leaves just before it. I think he plays in the um, the League Cup against Man City and the Europa League final, which Liverpool lose to Sevilla. And then, obviously, Liverpool, after that, sort of go on and win trophies. He spent 10 years at the club, was the longest-serving player, wasn't he, at the time? And I think it, it felt like a sad moment to watch him go. Probably the right time for him. And then, obviously, he goes on to have success with Lazio but he just feels like one of those players that like bought into Liverpool and like was a scouser is a scouser like you know his kids are probably born here and that kind of thing and I know that when uh, Liverpool played in Champions League finals he might have even been at the last one wasn't he with his son maybe I think but definitely like Mm. always puts videos up of his kids like you know in Liverpool tops and I think Liverpool will always have a, a special place in his heart and I think you know he'll always be a citizen only of the city and someone that Liverpool fans will just always... Like, if Lucas Lever walks down Bold Street or something, everyone's going to be like, you're all right, lad, like, and wanting pictures with him and different things because he's just... He's that kind of fella, isn't he? He gave us all for Liverpool, I think, and then leaves just before, you know, Liverpool go on and, and win it all. Bold Street would be too flash for him. Like, he, he'd, he'd be at the ratty end of Dale Street. That's where he'd be. You know, he'd be going in the mitre or somewhere. But, you know, it's, um, yeah. one thing that I, you know, I, I always thought, you look at him, he went six years without scoring a goal. And because he started in the team, you know, of, of Steven Gerrard, the captain, and, you know, this idea of midfielders storming forwards, you know, everyone was, oh, well, six years without a goal. But now you wouldn't think so. And that kind of shows you something about Klopp's midfield and the way it's changed. The midfield now... Don't score. He, he read the game so well, didn't he? And and he was able to sort of provide a, a foundation and a base in front of the you know the defense. And I don't quite know if he would have been able to to do the Fabinho job that Fabinho has you know been able to do in in recent seasons and the amount of ground he'd have to cover. And that might have been as well as you know probably being the right time for him to move on. That may have played into it because of, of course he did end of his career under Klopp, didn't he? So and, and Klopp would have valued his. It's it's not just what you do on the pitch as well. I think that's important to Klopp. It's that leadership, that presence in the dressing room that he definitely had. Um, because he, I think, and it's really cliche, but he got Liverpool, didn't he? And and you know embraced the club, and also the, I think the club eventually embraced him after what was probably a, a bit of a rocky start for him on the pitch. What he did have was a lot of the you know the sort of the things that Klopp looks for in in his midfielders, which is he was never lacking in that hard work that. 
that that desire to do everything he could and put everything out there and leave everything on the pitch. Well, you know, he arrived after Athens in 2007, the defeat in the Champions League final by AC Milan, and left the year before Kiev. And he had to enjoy endure Roy Hodgson and Brendan Rodgers. You know what? This man put in a shift for Liverpool and didn't get much of a reward. What did he get? A, a League Cup final winning medal. But, you know, the, the things he lived through, the stories he could tell Kiva, I'll tell you what. Well, now he doesn't deserve a statue. I was going to say he was going to deserve a statue, but that's overhyping him seriously. But we all like him. Yeah, definitely. He's a, a good guy, isn't he, I think. And didn't he... Would he make it onto your tapestry? Would he make it onto your tapestry? Yeah, that unlucky gif is right on the tapestry, isn't it? Like, that's there forever, mm-hmm. for all of history to see. I think... Didn't he get, like, I think, like, his first season was just, like, not great and, like, fans didn't really like him. I don't know when it sort of turned for him. I can't remember, but pretty sure I remember seeing him sort of at the end of one season with, like, a golden samba, which is obviously awarded to players, isn't it, at the end of the season in a fan vote. He he worked so hard and did such a good job of winning over Liverpool fans. He just worked for that. He didn't leave, he didn't give up. He just kept working at it and working at it. And I think, you know, he gave a decade of his life to Liverpool. And I think, you know, he deserves a, a very happy retirement. And I'm sure we'll we'll see him about soon, won't we? I hope he's he's well as well. Obviously, you know, to see him quite upset, wasn't he, in his, his press conference where he announced his, his retirement was, I think, hard to watch. I th- guess we all wish him the best and look forward to seeing him on Bold Street because I'm sure we will just bump into him in town somewhere. Dale Street, Dale Street. Anyway, that's it from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to Kiva and Andy, as well as you for joining us. To get involved with our Walk On group on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcasts. You know, you've used the internet before. We'll be with you again on Thursday and we'll catch you then. I like it. The Athletic.